Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Now we're now we're cooking. Okay, so uh, I've been fasting, like I was saying. I've been fasting. I'm not very good at fasting food, so I'm not fasting food. It, I used to try to fast food, and uh, still praying for physical grace for that. But I've got like sugar issues, so there was one time I was like had uh, the chills and was shaking on my bed, and I said maybe maybe this isn't a good idea. <laughs> anyway. Um, but I am fasting because Natasha, my wife, is away. And uh, she's away for the weekend. I remember people coming up to me. People have to do this. They come up to me and they're like, Cyrus, how do you do it? You have this church and you have this business, you know, and you've got all these other things. And, and how do you do it all? And I would just kind of like smile and say, I don't know. And feeling pretty good about how I was able to do that. Now I know. <laughs> You know, if you think for, went to our wedding anniversary yesterday, you know, you think it's a good idea on a wedding anniversary to have a date and spend time together. Well, even better is to have them be away. <laughs> you realize what they do for you <laughs> and how important they are. Um, I, it's the, Nata- the Natasha effect. I remember this morning I had another Natasha effect. I, I was cooking some eggs, and I sometimes do this. Cook eggs in the morning in a bowl. It's easy. I made some eggs in this morning and I took the bowl out of the microwave and got my fork and was about to eat my eggs and the, the bowl was warm because, you know, but there were no eggs in the bowl. <laughs> so I hope this message turns out. <laughs> uh, Lord, thank you for, I'm going to pray again for it. Lord, thank you for this morning. I just pray that you'd be with my brain and uh, just help me to receive from you. Help your Holy Spirit just to have his way and uh, help us to receive. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about um, uh, discernment, spiritual warfare, things like that. Got a question asking about um, discernment. And uh, when I was thinking about answering that question, I thought, well, by the time I actually get through answering this question, I'm probably going to have a message. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll just do it as a message. And... And then there was all these things that happened in the week where it just kind of kept coming up here and there. I got a prayer saying that I had the gift of deliverance, which I have never really thought about. And then I thought about my work as a psychologist, and maybe that does make sense, you know, uh, helping people all the time with, uh, with their issues and the ways that they feel tormented and uh, um, other experiences. I feel like in some ways there's been more spiritual warfare in my life lately. Uh, we have, I, I've never had a lot of contact with the police. I've been very happy about that. Um, and in the last like three months, I've had to write three different police reports uh, for different ways that uh, you know we've had victimization in our own life. We've I had my car window broken at my office, and we had identity theft. Partly my mistake because I forgot to close an account for the last ten years, but still uh, shouldn't be having identity theft if you have an account that's open. But they got a letter from our bank and somehow used that at our, from, at our old address. They got a letter uh, with some offer and they were able to write a check. And so uh, we got a call from the collection agency saying that we need to pay this account. And I thought that they were trying to steal my identity because I hadn't had an account like that for a very long time. And I wouldn't answer any of their questions. And they're like, we're the collection agency. You're supposed to answer us. We're not the ones stealing your identity. But I said I'd talk to the bank first before I talked to them. <laughs> Apparently, my identity had already been stolen. And just this, like, was it last weekend? 
I got a call and Natasha knows when I get a call on a Saturday and I walk out the door without saying goodbye that something's gone wrong and um, we had uh, we broken in in one of our offices we have two offices and one of them got broken into but we have the best security because they broke into all these offices it wasn't targeted and our office was actually the one they couldn't get into so I felt pretty good about that but they were able to break a window and um, and so I figured out how to replace a window that morning and uh, went to Home Depot. It was funny, I went to Home Depot and they said, I said, do you still have glass? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh shoot, okay. Uh, I guess I have to board it up for a while before I get some glass. And as I was walking away, they, oh, we do sell plexiglass. And I'm like, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually easier to cut and everything anyway, so I had it fixed within the morning, which felt pretty good. All little things, but still attacks. And I feel like the God, um, I feel like these things happen sometimes when to discourage us when we're doing something important and uh, so um, anyway this is a good topic the question I want to talk about specifically is uh, how do you know when something's a sin how do you know when you're supposed to be doing something maybe even that's a better way of phrasing it not when something's a sin but how do you know when something isn't good for you to do and uh, we came across this a lot when we were uh, doing mission work abroad. We were missionaries in India, and I remember this one story. We were with some Christians. We were we were being hosted, and we were part of their wedding kind of thing and supporting them. It was a big deal when you're in an Indian wedding. And we were very dressed up, and we found out at the wedding that we were more dressed up than anybody else at the wedding. They dressed us up, and they made us sparkle. And uh, so we had lots of sparkles on us, and we stood out. Uh, anyway, um, it's good. It's good. Uh, we were fine with that. And we were back at the village, very humble place. And we realized that one of their wedding ceremonies was very interesting. They started to cover the groom in turmeric. I don't know. Has anybody ever seen this before? Covering somebody in turmeric? So this guy was like, I think in a loincloth. I'm having trouble with the details. I, he wasn't naked. But he, there was very little clothing. And he was being patted and, and brushed down with this turmeric. And I was so kind of caught up in this that I didn't even think of the spiritual ramifications, but maybe my focus on this event and wonder at the fact that this man was turning yellow uh, kind of caught their eye and they looked at me and they're like, because this is a Christian group, right? And they were like, don't worry. And uh, I was like, what? What do you mean? Well, I mean, this isn't a Christian, you know, the gist of it was this isn't a Christian tradition, but, you know, it's like blowing out candles. Like, it doesn't mean anything to us. It's just something from our, our past. But we don't have, it doesn't have any spiritual significance anymore to us. It's like blowing out candles. I thought that was a very clever answer. I hadn't realized that we maybe had some traditions in our lives that I didn't even consider spiritual at all or hadn't really thought about that may have some roots. So, for today, I looked up blowing out candles and the spiritual roots of blowing out candles. Now, I didn't do a lot of research on this, so I might be wrong, but this is what Google had to say. Uh, birthday candles. Okay, so birthday candles potentially come from ancient Greece and uh, apparently a Roman tradition. And when uh, people had cakes adorned with candles, to the, uh, and they brought them to Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. And the candles were lit to make them glow like the moon, a popular symbol associated with Artemis. Okay, so there's potentially, I don't, I don't know for sure, uh, some spiritual roots to blowing out candles. And 
um, just in the same way that they had some spiritual roots associated with covering somebody with turmeric. But they, were, they felt comfortable doing that. And uh, I thought that was interesting. Symbols can be very powerful and they can change meaning over time. Um, they can change, they can morph, uh, and they can mean different things to different people. So uh, rainbow is a good example of this. Um, I was downtown in Winnipeg on Portage and Maine and I noticed that we had painted all the barriers around the intersection in rainbow colors. And I had a very different experience of that than when we were recently down uh, going to a museum on Noah's Ark and they had rainbows all over the place associated with the Ark. And my experience of both of those was very different but also the symbol was very similar. Now I know technically the rainbow that they have downtown has six and the rainbow that they had at Noah's Ark has seven colors. I'm, I'm aware of that but a lot of people don't know that and I don't know if that matters because it depends on what the symbol stands for. It depends on what it means to you. Jesus' name is another example of this. Jesus' name is extremely powerful, sometimes. And sometimes Jesus' name is powerless. Now hear me out. Don't quote me right there. Don't leave and say, Cyrus said this, and this means that. You have to listen to the whole thing. So don't stop the tape right now. You have to listen now. At least for another minute or two. So I'll, I'll illustrate. Acts 19, verse 13. I'll read it out. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name Jesus, whom I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So in that case, the name of Jesus was powerful, but not in the way that they were hoping. It was powerful in that they got completely beaten and humiliated in public, because the name angered the demon, and the demon came out and attacked them. Well, I guess it didn't come out and attack them, but attacked them through the person who was demonized. So the name of Jesus, it's not a magic word. It's not a, it's not a potion. And you would think that if it was a magic word that we should actually say it properly. I mean, we don't even pronounce it correctly. We say Jesus. That's not how you pronounce it. We, it's supposed to be Yeshua. So if it was a magic word, we should at least say it correctly. But we don't. And that's because it's not a magic word. The name itself is just a name. Some people are named Jesus in the earth. What if you're invoking them? It's not necessarily filled with power. Now, symbols are important. I'm going to get to that. So I don't want to just make light of symbols. God gives us symbols. 1 Corinthians 6.12. This is, 1 Corinthians 6 is going to be, especially the second part of it, is going to be like a primary passage for this sermon. 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I want to talk about discernment. And I've devised on my own, and I'm going to announce it today for the first time, a discernment process. We're going to see how this goes. It may develop over time, but I think this is a good first draft. And we'll see how it fits for you. 
I like processes. I like making, I like getting organized. I find it helpful, especially for difficult decisions. And as a psychologist, I'm constantly, we're trained to identify ethical issues. And we're given processes where we say, this is the most important, this is the next important, this is the next important. And to tell you the truth, it's very helpful for making those ethical decisions because sometimes it could just be very confusing. So I've done a similar thing, but I obviously haven't used the ethical principles of psychology. I've used the relevant scriptures that I know of, and there may be more. Uh, hopefully you can help me identify them and we can make this better. But at this point, I think this is a good first draft. Level one. So this is the first thing to consider when you're actually making a decision about whether you should do something in the earth. First question you should answer, is it sin? Now, there are different categories under is it sin, but the first one is, is it a listed sin? Is it a sin that's actually listed in the Bible? Is it a biblically listed sin? And I'm not talking about here whether it's associated with a listed sin. I'm talking about whether it is actually literally a sin. So, some examples would be theft, idolatry, witchcraft. If it's one of those things, you don't have to go any further in my ordered list here. Shouldn't do it. It's a listed sin. And it's listed in the Bible. So I'm going to give you an example of something that's not a listed sin, but may be associated with a sin. And that would be yoga. So I did a bit of research on yoga. This isn't automatically a sin, but it's associated with a sinful practice. I was looking at some yoga poses, again on Google, I'm not proclaiming myself to be a yoga expert, so I'm very sure that somebody who knows yoga better could probably correct me on something I'm about to say, but this is what I got, and I thought it was maybe good enough for an illustration. Now from the yoga poses that I was able to find on the internet, if you have crawled on the ground on your hands and knees, slouched, laid on your back or laid on your stomach, you have now engaged in a yoga pose. Now, the god Shiva, a Hindu god, I believe, apparently taught 8,400,000 different asanas, I think I'm saying that right, which are different yoga poses. Now, there were 84 of them, there are 32, I think, who are practiced, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, 32, I think, that are regularly practiced, 84 that are kind of like, maybe 100 people kind of come up with their own for sure, but there are potentially 8 million, over 8 million poses. Now, I was able to find some poses that people regularly engage in just looking at the top 100. Now, if you actually can, can, can even conceive of 8 million poses, I'm pretty sure I'm doing one right now. <laughs> we're all probably doing, of these million po 8 million poses, we're probably consistently doing them, you're probably doing one by just sitting in a chair. Now, most of those 8 million poses are unknown but they apparently are in the mind of this deity. Now those could be associated with a sinful practice. I'm not saying that you should just, oh, well, now no, this is just the first step. In the, this is the first step in your discernment process. Is it a sin? And technically speaking, it is not sinful to stand up. It is not sinful to, stand, to sit down. And I don't want Shiva to do something that means that I can't move my body. Just because Shiva had an idea doesn't mean that I can't sit down, doesn't mean that I can't lay down, doesn't mean that I can't do this or that. They can talk about whatever they want. I'm ruled by God, and he outlines my sins. So I am not letting... Sometimes people will react to something in order to, uh, in order to not have it control them. But sometimes if you react to something strongly, it actually makes, means that you're controlled by that same thing. Mom told me I can't eat this, so I'm going to eat it. 
well, why don't you make up your own mind about whether you want to eat it? Either way, you're being controlled by your mom if you react or if you obey. So just make up your own mind. So in the same way, I want to make up my own mind about whether this is good or not and not listen to whether Shiva said it has it on his list of 8 million. Does that make sense? We want to make up our own mind. And we want to follow the Bible. Okay, so it's not a listed sin. Now, is it a commanded sin? That's the second category of is it a sin? So we're still under the first heading, is it a sin? The first one was, is it a listed sin? So, no, uh, at least for yoga poses. Is it a commanded sin? Now, uh, this would be kind of or maybe a prophetic, prophetically de a prophetic declaration from the Lord. So not listed in the Bible, but still a word from the Lord. So 1 Samuel 15 would be an example of this. Saul was told to kill various things when he overtook this enemy. And one of them was to slaughter their cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. This is 1 Samuel 15, verse 3. Second part of that verse. Slaughter their cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Now, he doesn't do it. And he tries to justify it. And he says, well, I didn't kill them because they were going to die anyway. And I thought I would keep them. And then I would use them as sacrifices to the Lord. Because Samuel started to confront him. Samuel confronts him and says, all the animals were going to be destroyed. Well, he says, all the animals were going to be destroyed anyway. That's why the army brought the best sheep and cattle to Gilgal as sacrifices to your Lord. Eventually, Saul admits, and he says, I have sinned, Saul admitted. I disobeyed both you and the Lord. I was afraid of the army and listened to them instead. Please forgive me and come back with me so I can worship the Lord. Now, whatever happens here with, with Saul, I won't get into. But if you have been commanded to do something and you don't do it, that's a sin. And it's not one that's listed in the Bible. It's just a command to you. Now, you can't put that on everybody else. I'm not supposed to go to my neighbor and kill their sheep. That was for Saul, right? So don't everybody go out and start killing your cattle or other people's cattle. This is a specific command at a specific time for somebody. And only you can discern that. So if you have been discerned to like do something, then that's your call. And if you don't do it, that's a sin. And then even things that are not like biblical sins are things that you should be not doing. Okay, now there's a third one. And this is the sin of, a con of your conscience, or sin of lack of faith. So, if you're not sure, and you think that doing something might be a sin, and you do it, you haven't been called to not do that, and you do it even though you're not sure if it's a good idea. You're like, I don't know, Lord, maybe you're okay with this, maybe you're not okay with this, and then you go and do that, that's also a sin. I'll read the verse for it. Romans 14, 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating, now it's talking about eating various kinds of foods that made people have, were controversial. Because the eating is not from faith. So if you don't have faith that God is okay with you doing something and you do it, then this is what it says. For, whoever, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So you want to you wanna walk on your own ground here. You have to walk on your discernment. This isn't just fun and games. If you're discerning something and you're not sure and you do it anyway, then you're... What are you doing? Yes. What are you doing? You're doing something and you're not sure if God's okay with it? You've got you to gotta discern yourself. You've got to get walk in faith. Do you see how murky this is? It's not just whether it's listed in the Bible. You have to figure out what's God calling me to do. You have to figure out, what, am I like okay with this? Can I walk in faith in this? So if you look at somebody else and they're doing something or they're not doing something, this is why God says, leave my servant alone. He's talking to me about this, hopefully. Right? 
So we've got to, like, this is an individual decision. I mean, the first one is like, yeah, it's biblical. Like, if somebody's doing witchcraft, it's like, yeah, that's not good. You know, we can, that's the first level. If God tells you to do witchcraft, don't do it. It's not God telling you. It's not God telling you. That's the first level of discernment, right? You've got to figure out what that voice is. Um, but if God tells you to do something, or if you're not sure, those are very important. And, that, and you don't have to go on to level two or level three. Those are out of bounds. Okay, now we're going to talk about level two. So now let's say you have said, you know what? This is not literally a sin in the Bible. It's not witchcraft. It's not idolatry. And I have not been called not to do it. And I feel full of faith that this is not a bad thing. Then you have to go on to level two. Guard your hearts. This is level two. Guarding your hearts. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about those things. What have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things. And and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I believe strongly that we are supposed to walk into the darkness, but I don't think we're supposed to live there. We are supposed to live in the commendable. We're not supposed to willy-nilly dabble in darkness because, I don't know, I'm able, I'm free. I'm free. It's not a listed sin in the Bible, and I'm not feeling commanded not to do it, and I feel faith that it's not a sin. That doesn't mean that you should go do it just for the fun of it. Because you have freedom as a Christian? That's not enough. We're supposed to focus on what's commendable. We're supposed to focus on doing what we see in God. We're supposed to think about what's in heaven, and we're supposed to bring that down to earth. We're not supposed to think about what's in hell and say, hey, I can dabble there, and I'm okay. I can dabble there, and I'm okay. That's not why we go into the darkness, just because I can, and it's not a sin. We are supposed to bring heaven down to earth. We are supposed to focus on what's commendable and what we see in God. So if you see something on the earth that's associated with sin, yeah, maybe you can do that, but that doesn't mean you should. And that doesn't mean you want to promote it. We're supposed to be creating God's kingdom here, and you don't do that by promoting things that are not commendable. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your hearts with all vigilance, for, it flow, for from it flows the springs of life. One of the most dangerous ideas in Christendom is, I can handle it. I can handle it. We are supposed to watch over our own hearts and be careful with our hearts. Symbols are powerful. And if something is a true symbol of like being associated with sin in your culture, in your worldview, and you're going and dabbling in that, you have to watch your heart. These symbols aren't powerful in themselves. Blowing out candles is not powerful in itself. Our world doesn't really see it as an Artemis thing. But if you see it as an Artemis thing and you start to do it, It might not be a sin in itself, but you are playing with a symbol. You have to be careful. You have to guard your heart. I'm not telling you whether you should do it or not. I am telling you, though, that you have a heart that the devil is after. 
the devil is, is on the offensive. He's not just kind of like sitting back thinking about, mm, we'll see who kind of comes for the bait. He is looking to get a foothold in your heart. And he is devising things that are like, ah, you know, you're not going to get into trouble for this. You can play. Aren't you supposed to be free? The Bible says you're free. That's not enough. You have to be careful. I'll go back to that first scripture. All things are lawful for me, but, I, but not all things are helpful. So think about what's helpful for you. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And it never starts with domination. It ends that way. These are open doors. We need to be careful with our own hearts. So that's level two. Know yourself. And even if you feel like you've got command over something, that doesn't mean you should just go play. Okay, now that's the third level. Let's say it's like, you know what? I'm okay with this. And you're, you're good. It's not a listed sin. You're not commanded not to do it. You feel like you have faith that God is really not making this a sin, like you are convinced. And you feel like your heart is good. You are strong. You can do this. Okay, so let's go on to level three. Guarding others' hearts. So you guarded, not a sin, you guarded your heart, now you've got to guard the hearts of others. Romans 14, 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Food isn't worth destroying somebody. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. You are free. And don't take away somebody's freedom. You are free. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Don't go doing something that's going to make somebody stumble just for the food. Yeah, it might be tasty. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That was Romans 14. We have to be careful about how our decisions affect those around us. We're all in leadership. We're all in leadership. And you need to be aware of how this is affecting your children. You need to be aware of how this is affecting the people around you. Because even if you've guarded your own heart and you are like clear as clear can be on what you're doing, other people may not have guarded their hearts. Other people may be less secure in their faith and may be confused or think that you're approving or thinking that this is heaven that you're engaging in. So you need to be careful by what people are seeing in you that they may get confused by. Now, I mean, there's limits around this. Like, you can't necessarily be completely aware, but we're going to get into... Maybe I will now. Maybe I'll just pause there. You may have wondered why I haven't brought up the Holy Spirit yet. It's like, where's the Holy Spirit in discernment? Isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to be, like, the main thing for discernment? Just pray. The Holy Spirit gave us something. He gave us the Bible. And from that, we can get these different verses. So, yeah, I've actually already been talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is guiding all of this. And as you can see, just because I've gone through these three principles, I haven't at all answered your question on whether you should do almost most things that look bad in the world. I haven't answered it at all. I can make a big list of all the things that you could potentially be still uncertain of whether you should be engaging in. And 
The Holy Spirit is supposed to be with you at each of these steps. Is it a sin? Even identifying biblical sins like idolatry are tough. Is it an idol for me? Right? Not whether it's actually a stone calf or like a golden calf. It's not that obvious sometimes. Is it an idol for you? That's a listed sin. Even at that level, you need the Holy Spirit to help you to know. You need, a, you need the Holy Spirit to tell you whether he's commanding you not to do that. You need the Holy Spirit to help you have faith to do something that might look bad. I needed the Holy Spirit to be there and tell me not to condemn that turmeric practice. It's like, I felt peace with it. It's like, these people don't need me coming in here right now, ruining the wedding by throwing out the turmeric. Right? I needed the Holy Spirit to give me peace in that situation. There might be times when you see somebody covering them with turmeric where you do throw out the turmeric. I don't know. But you have to know and you need to be praying because the Holy Spirit needs to be guiding you in that. You need to be having the Holy Spirit to help you know when you are weak because oftentimes we feel strong when we're not. And you need the Holy Spirit to be telling you about what's happening around you because we think we know what we're doing, but we don't. And there's many times when I'm like, oh, shoot. I went to this conference just to check it out and everybody thinks I approve. Cyrus was there. He thinks it's good. It's like, I wasn't there for that. I was wanting to find out. Maybe I'll watch it online next time. We have to be guarding other people. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in each of these steps. And we need the Holy Spirit to be helping us to discern for each other as well. Because if you see somebody doing something that you have been shown is dangerous for you, that doesn't mean that it's a sin for them. And I don't want to put up walls to ministry opportunities. We run the spirit room. It looks horrible. It is totally looking like it's associated with horrible, well, ungodly practices. But we feel called to do that. We feel like God told us to do this. And I wouldn't be going and dabbling in non-Christian and, and taking out Christian jargon Unless the Holy Spirit was telling me, you are to go to these people, you are to get as close to them as you can and not do a biblical sin in order to reach them. There is freedom, but I will not be mastered by it. And I need to pray as I do that. I need the Holy Spirit to help me because I am going into the darkness. Do you know what happens when the blood of Christ encounters repentant darkness? The blood of Christ wasn't meant to be kept in a bowl and kept away from sin. The blood of Christ was made to encounter sin. We are covered with something that's made to go and find sin. We are called to break down darkness, to, to bring the kingdom of heaven. And when sin encounters the blood of Christ, that's what it was made to do. That's why he bled. It was to wash was to wash sin. Now, that doesn't mean you willy-nilly go and start spraying everybody with blood. I, this is a funny story. I remember. Uh, okay, I have to hide it a little bit. Um, I remember somebody <laughs> going into a, a church, a Catholic church, with somebody else. And Sorry, I didn't plan this story. With somebody else. And the person who was kind of more like devout in their Catholicism at the time 
took the holy water, and, and I forget what you do. I think they kind of made the sign of the cross on themselves. Forgive me if I'm getting that wrong. But anyway, they, they did their thing with the holy water, and then they took a little more, or what was left over on their fingers, they turned to this other person who wasn't as devout in the Catholic faith and just sprayed them with the holy water. <laughs> now, maybe that's what you're called to do. But doing that isn't necessarily going to take out the darkness. You know what I mean? It's, it, the blood of Christ is powerful to save in a repentant heart, but it is powerful to save in a repentant heart. And we need to go, and we need to go into the darkness. Jesus went into the darkness. So I don't want to tell you something's a sin when then that all of a sudden means you can't go and minister. We need to preserve the freedom in Christ. We were made to walk into a dark world. I'm in a dark world right now. Some of the things are kind of scandalous, but I am surrounded. If you actually think about this, I am surrounded by sin all the time. I would have to stay in my bathroom in order to be able to keep pure from things that are associated with sin. I have to close. I wouldn't be able to drive. I would have to close my eyes. It would be very dangerous to actually completely cleanse myself of anything associated with wickedness. But it is not wicked to accidentally see something on a billboard. The sin of lust is in your heart. We have to be very careful to define what sin is, and then we need to guard our hearts, we need to guard our friends, and we need to pray like crazy to keep ourselves pure, and it's not easy. But that is what we are called to do. We are called to follow our call. And we were each equipped to do that. And that's what I want to do in this world. Okay. So what about angels and demons? I've been talking about symbols a lot here. Okay. So if I accidentally stand in a yoga pose, which I'm probably doing right now, I am not moving angels and demons. Yoga poses are not powerful to move angels and demons. The literal name of Christ is not powerful to move angels and demons. The power of Christ, the authority of Christ is powerful to move angels and demons, and he gave you that power. So what's powerful to move angels and demons? You. And why are you surrounded with symbols? To affect you. Why are yoga poses dangerous? Because they change your heart. Potentially. So I'm not worried about whether I'm standing in a pose. I'm worried about whether my heart is being moved by that pose. And whether the hearts of those around me are being moved by that pose. Because I am powerful. I'm more powerful than I even know. I open kingdoms with my spirit. I close kingdoms with my spirit. It's hard for me to comprehend. When I get to heaven and I comprehend how powerful I am, I'm going to cry. I could have done so much more with my spirit, with what God gave me. I'm like that kid and it's like, you would have done that for me? It's like, he would do so much for you. You are so powerful. That's why you're under attack. You are so powerful. And symbols are extremely powerful. So am I saying, am I going to be like looking at you if you say in the name of Jesus? No, at all, not at all. Because that is super powerful for you. That is a symbol that focuses your spirit. 
You have something in yourself that is activated when you say, in the name of Jesus. And, that, and God gives us those symbols in order to activate ourselves, and that is what's powerful. It's not the fact that I forgot to say Yeshua instead of Jesus. It's the fact that my spirit is connected with the God of the universe and is going to bring heaven into this person's life right now. And by me saying Jesus, I am focusing that on that person. I am, I am exercising my will, and that is a spiritual reality in that person's life. And God says, I see you, and I am going to back you up. Not because you said my name, but because you know me, and I am giving you this power to command on the earth. And the demon is going to say, I know you, Cyrus. It's not because you said Jesus. We say Jesus too. It's because you know God, and we have to go now. That's deliverance. I want God to know my name. I want demons to know my name. And we have to guard our hearts because the devil wants them. We were made to go into darkness. We were made to overcome it. We were made to move angels and demons. And we need to keep ourselves pure we need to keep ourselves connected so that we can save our friends. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have made us so powerful. And Lord, I pray that you would give us so much wisdom as we enter into a world filled with darkness. And I pray that we would encourage each other. I pray that we would encourage each other. That we wouldn't judge each other. That we wouldn't make rules that you haven't made. But that we would help each other to discern, that we would talk it through, that we would pray it through. I pray that you would drop wisdom into each of our spirits. And I pray that there would be a release from any bondage that's already there. In the name of Jesus, I pray a release. From any bondage, in the name of Jesus. Amen.